Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Patriot Strong Podcast. You know, it has been a while, but I am honored to do this special interview, to introduce the special interview for you guys today. Um, I am joined by Dr. Talbron today, a featured guest on shows like His Glory and my personal favorite, Mike Adams, with um, the Health Ranger Report. Thank you, doctor, so much for joining me and taking the time today. I know you have a lot of relevant information that, um, you know, is really current in the news right now, and my audience needs to know that. So I'm thankful for you to take the time and join me today. My pleasure. Um, and uh, I just love the name of your show. Um, I think partly... Um, so let me let me talk about a little bit about my background and and the work that I've done as an as as a as an intro to people that haven't heard of me and then also in getting used to being able to tell people what I'm not which is also very important. So Absolutely. Um, my background, I started off professionally as a clinical psychologist, but way before that, ever since I can remember, I've been involved in science and the medical field. Other kids were interested in sports. I was not a great sports person, although I was a really decent swimmer. Um, but I was just never a guy that was going to spend my time sort of on a field somewhere. My interests, um, you know, just forever have been science and um, all forms of science. But especially when it comes to medicine, my I donated a lot of time growing up to working in rural clinics. Um, I did a pre-med, a Bachelor of Science that was um, pretty close to a pre-med, and then basically did um, a Master's of Science in clinical psychology, became a psychologist, and then furthered my education when I came to the States by doing a doctorate in organizational leadership. That's a doctorate in education. But specifically, um, I used that PH, that EDD um, as, a, as a way to um, write up a doctorate level um, uh, thesis um, and um, have a published doctorate on workplace violence. Because what I'd found is that my work over time had become very much about peak performance, wellness, um, at one stage, I op uh, opened and owned a wellness center. I was very, very interested in helping people to achieve their ultimate goal, their ultimate health, their ultimate um, health and freedom. But um, ultimately, after um, uh, September 11th, um, you know, I just moved to the States. And in fact, I always tell people that it's it's an interesting marker for me because um, my passport was actually in, I was in South Africa at the time waiting to come back here. And when the towers fell and it was very significant for me to know how sort of disjointed it already felt, um, being so far away from whatever, what had become home for me. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things that you can define yourself when you work out whether you're a patriot or not. And one of those things is how do you feel about your home? How, you know, are you prepared to defend it? Right. Are, are you, are you, um, are you really going to look at what our, um, constitution is of this Republic? And are you going to defend that? Are you, are you going to be fair weather? Are you going to choose certain parts of the law that you, you like? And, 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 and not care about other laws? Are you going to care about your freedom, but not other people's freedoms? And so I think that it's very interesting that my marker in, 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 um, in understanding that I'd already sunk roots here was that I felt desperate to come back and, and do meaningful work um, post 9-11. And I, and I also knew that um, my background in being in South Africa in a very violent country, in a very extreme country, a lot of pain and suffering, had led me to this process where 
I knew that I could only sort of be and dabble in the arts of peak performance uh, for, for, for so long before I started having a longing to do more work that involved the darker side of humanity, you know, really the fringe of extremists of terrorists of, um, of people that, um, you know, today have woken up and you and I having this conversation, but somewhere, somewhere in the world and somewhere in this great nation, there's someone who's writing out their manifesto and they're planning to go and kill kids somewhere. So I knew that as, you know, there was something, there was something sort of, I would say awkward for me um, in doing work to go and help a company sell more widgets rather than what I thought that I'd be very good at, which was helping people to understand the really dark sides of, of pathology. And so my expertise has become the prevention response to mass killers. And most people would think about that in terms of an active shooter, what they would call an active shooter. The correct term is active attacker because it's really not about the weapon you don't stay right. focused on one specific weapon otherwise you fail at the task and then also um, that relates to counterterrorism and to and to bioterrorism prevention and response so that's my wheelhouse now very quickly i'll say what i'm not because otherwise someone's going to say it for us and i like predictive intelligence i like to know what's coming my way and so in the whiniest way possible i'll tell you what people point out very quickly that i'm not he's not a medical doctor um, and that's, and that's how I read it. Whenever I see someone's comment somewhere, uh, or have to hear it from someone, um, uh, personally, um, this pandemic has been awful for, for a lot of reasons, but when it comes to solving a problem, one of the things that's been pushed the most in, in the world, in, in academic sciences, in technology, in chemistry, in psychology, uh, in, in all forms of science and art is a multidisciplinary approach. You're supposed to be asking experts uh, to solve the problem. You're supposed to be inviting lots of different opinions, um, not just a, a sort of very, um, uh, you know, um, lack, uh, just a, a, an opinion based on one science. And so what's very strange is for the last couple of years, people have been quite easily talking about the potential that SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon, but where are all the bioweapon people? The closest exactly. we, we're closest we've got to anybody talking about the actual bioweapon are some very lazy and very incompetent reports from our federal agencies. I say they're lazy and incompetent because they, they are they might sound impressive to people um, in the public, but they're not impressive to the experts that need correct data that need a lot more information. And then um, and also there's some there's sort of, sort of um, there's some there's some people that are at least out there and they're giving testimony, um, but there really hasn't been anybody from my industry in in uh, in the in the um, counterterrorism or bio warfare space really spelling this out to people, explaining what this pathological biological bomb is and what it does to the human body. You know, you would think you know just like I've attended seminars where they teach us about bombs. And we have to know uh, this particular bomb is going to smell this way while they're making it. This is what you can, you know, if a neighbor calls in and they say they're smelling a pungent smell that sort of smells like vinegar and they think that their neighbor's a terrorist, you know, then you send somebody over because those two things coming together are important. Um, when you combine certain chemicals, you get certain smells. So if a building is overwhelmed, yes, it could be a meth lab. 
but it could also be if it's being overwhelmed by a chemical smell and somebody is concerned that this person is a terrorist, that could be a very good warning sign to take something seriously. And so we haven't had that at all during, uh, during this um, pandemic. Nobody else besides the medical model is, is allowed to explain it, is allowed to cure it, is allowed to offer treatments. So I'm proudly not a medical doctor in this moment because it's allowed me to tackle a problem that doesn't relate to medicine at all. It's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not that your local pediatrician has had very little, if no training in, in chemical warfare and right. bio warfare. So what do they think they're doing? Right, exactly. And, you know, going right off of that, I know a couple years ago, you wrote a letter to the FBI explaining your concern about the, uh, the, bioweapon that was SARS-CoV-2, the spike protein, the research, and all of that. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I was getting these questions in early 2020 um, from colleagues, you know, that are, there's discussions taking place on very high levels at, at police departments. And uh, I'm trying to think of being even like, um, federal state and federal level um colleagues of mine um you know offline were were asking me hey doc is is we're, we're all talking about the potential of this being a biological attack is this a biological agent and of course i can't you know stand there as some person who's been on a stage as their keynote expert um and not have an answer for them so i went to work immediately in, in making phone calls, in reading um, uh, previous research and seeing where we currently are uh, in terms of, you know, some of these things that we've been studying for years, you know, that they say, well, they're trying to achieve this or they're trying to achieve an antidote for that. And so it took me back to being able to say, well, where are we currently in, in these programs? And I, I, I've got to say at the beginning of it, I didn't tackle it with, with uh, you know, sort of if you think about a crime scene, if you think about the the awful attack, for example, that we just had in Tennessee, like there's certain right. things that you do immediately to solve the problem, like the great officers did in terms of going in and not waiting and they're going door to door and they're checking a building and then they're finding the threat and then they're shooting the threat. You know, that there's certain stages to my work where it's inappropriate to be doing other work. Like while those officers are, are, um, are, are going through the building looking for the perpetrator, they shouldn't be on their phone trying to work out, hey, is there a cluster to these perpetrators? Is there an uptick in, in trans extremism? Is there, um, is there a way to prevent this that includes psychology? Like they shouldn't be doing that work while, while, trying, while trying to do the tactical work. And so for me, I wasn't really interested in looking at patents and grants from DARPA and trying to work out how involved Fauci was or wasn't. That's not appropriate for 2020. And in some way, it's not even that appropriate now while we still have people dying today and we still have people lining up their kids for a vaccine. Like it's not appropriate necessary to be solving the bigger crime until you've really put a stop to the attack. Um, and that's not always about just stopping the perpetrator because there's more than one, right? This is why I look at this as something that I'm now teaching. Um, I look at this as a, as a complex coordinated biological attack. You've got numerous places, you've got numerous people. It's not just one single perpetrator. Um, and so you have to solve the problem by looking at the complexity, but keeping in mind, what is the primary role that you need today? 
So if I could say, um, I'm going to say two things. One is that for the sake of your audience, my brain, the way that my brain works, my mouth just moves <laughs> and you feel free. You, you've, you've got a background where you know how to stop kindergartners um, <laughs> that are throwing tantrums or, uh, or, or, or doing run-on sentences like me. So you can, you can treat me like a kindergartner in terms of I give very, very long answers to things, but I'm fine if you interrupt me. Um, that's just a side note. But the second thing is that if I, could, if I could achieve one thing today, it would be that no human being that, 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 that gets to hear this or, or somebody shares this with them, if, if that human being does not go and take another one of these um, quote-unquote vaccines, which certainly everybody knows by now, and certainly your audience knows they're not vaccine, and certainly if we can stop this going into children, that would be a primary goal. That is no different. I'm using my voice the way those officers were going and slicing the pie, getting through a door and, and checking to see if the, if, the, if, the, if, the, um, if the room is clear. If I'm doing this and this was a building, if, if there's somebody in earshot of our conversation and we can catch their attention and if potentially, and it's not easy, if we can stop them harming their child's immune system today, we've saved a life. Um, but that's really, really hard work um, that, that you and I are trying to do at the moment. Right, absolutely, and I agree with you. And for those who have taken it and who refuse to listen to alternative media, like the podcast that you've been on, the yeah. interviews that we have both done, what would you say to them? How would you wake them up to what's really going on versus what mainstream media is trying to push down their throat about, you know, these are safe and effective and you're, you know, you're going to benefit if you take one, two, three, four of them, and so on. What would you say? Well, there's so there's a couple of things. One is that if they're not open, if they're not open to hear that they need help, I don't say anything. Um, lately, what I've been doing is trying to come up with different levels of comparison. I used to compare it to trying to save a drowning person, and that if that person is still in crisis, and if that person is not saying help me, and if that person is not calm when you approach them, you they'll drown you. I mean, they. Right. Even, even, you know, a small person in crisis with hands on you in water can pull you down and drown you. And so you always have to make sure that you're safe. So that used to be my metaphor. But now, because this is so, um, so widespread and so much of a cult, um, I've got a different approach. Um, it's similar to Noah. You know, you offer, you offer, uh, um, you know, and, and quite rightly so, someone pointed out um, that Noah really built that for his family. But I'm going to extend that out in terms of what the human family is and, uh, and say that you can offer people survivability as Lieutenant, um, as um, um, uh, I was going to say Grossman, but it slipped my mind right now. Um, uh, it'll come back to me. But basically the idea, the premise uh, arranges um, philosophy of follow me if you want to live. Um, you know, ultimately the Noah arc, the Noah's arc version of that is we are offering you a chance, um, to survive. We're offering you a chance not to do harm to yourself and your family, but we're the boats leaving. Like we're going to have to seal these doors and, and that's it. Like if you're knocking, I'm sorry, like there's nothing we can do for you. Like the world is getting flooded. And so it has got to that point now where we have to limit our energy expense to anybody that doesn't want the help. I think that the, the rejection of that in itself 
can feel alarming to people it, it, to actually even help them to wake up a little. But there is a part of this that, so the most controversial thing that I'll say around the topic of the, the, the biological weapon, that even some of the your patriots uh, that haven't gone along with this, that haven't vaccinated themselves, some of them would have be, even have a hard time believing what I'm about to say. I know a lot of people talk about this thing um, as it relates to maybe a depopulation type weapon. And it is. And I know a lot of people are concerned about sterilization, which is a problem. But I want people to know that the, the, the true use of this biological weapon is it's a tranquilizer. So as a tranquilizer, um, and, and a lot of um, farmers will understand what I'm about to say, and anybody that works with animals and animal transport, if you're taking animals to slaughter, you've got to calm them down. You're not, you don't want damaged goods. You don't want death um, in the back of your truck. Uh, when you're trying to vaccinate animals, you've got to calm them down. You've got to work out systems where they don't hurt each other and, and themselves and panic. And so what they've done is that we are moving to a, um, a cryptocurrency. We're moving to a U.S. Treasury BlackRock run, run cryptocurrency that regulates the space for everyone else. There will be other cryptocurrencies, but they will be like apps on your phone. They will be regulated by, you know, sort of the mothership, right? And in this case, it will be, you know, we don't own the U.S. Treasury. That's private banking. I know a lot of people think of it as a government, you know, sort of entity. And so we're heading towards this cryptocurrency. And that also means that there's centralized government, because once you control the money, then you control everything. And then, and that basically to make sure that that could happen in people that have resources and capabilities to maybe say, Hey, we don't want that. We don't want that system. They, they essentially had to tranquilize humanity. And that is the biggest problem with this biological weapon. It's like trying to talk to a drug addict and, and, uh, and everybody knows how hard those interventions are. And so basically, um, we, have to, we have to really realize that not only is there cult-like thinking psychologically, but biologically, there's been changes with people in terms of them not being able to have their cognitive functioning that allows them to think through this. They're, they've got cognitive rigidity um, and apathy and bystander apathy. And, and part of that is I've never seen, and, and nor should have anybody else have any other comparison, for every attack that there is now on a school, there's less and less care. It's right. almost like people just don't care anymore. Cancer levels through the roof. Um, players dying on fields doing a sport. Young 15-year-old boy dies at choir practice from a heart attack. No one cares. And you know, we all think of this as a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated problem. It's not. We've all been vaccinated. The spike protein is ubiquitous, meaning it's everywhere. It's more problematic for the vaccinated because the biology of it means that there's more chance that it stayed in your system, right? That would be the equivalent of, of um, you know, uh, sort of, you know, I'm going to use a, a, a metaphor that, that certainly doesn't apply to me, um, but it, it's sort of like, you know, I think anyone can relate to this, that it's an adult. Um, actually, in case any kids are, are maybe listening, I'm not going to use that metaphor, but I'm going to say it's the equivalent of if this was aerosolized and we've all been exposed, that's different than purposefully having it in your body where its right. effectiveness as a tranquilizer would be high. But we're all needing to snap out. We're all needing to care more. You know, something that, that, that I think that is important for patriots to, to realize is just like officers that have been trained 
when you know when you're hearing gunshots don't stand around don't wait for SWAT teams anymore you know you saw what happened in Uvalde for example in Texas we've got protocols now that don't allow that but where is that relating to patriots what are they waiting for what is the threshold look like without anybody defining how far a country could go into a, 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 a tyrannical government without actually defining that without going into groups and asking, well, how far do we want this to go? You know, when people losing their job because they've been, not been they've been forced to take an experimental um, um, chemical um, against their will, you know, isn't that far enough? Is, is, isn't that, isn't that breaking our, 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 um, our oaths? Isn't that, isn't that uh, why, why kids, um, um, you know, stand and, and to the pledge and pledge allegiance to the country, how far, what do our thresholds as patriots look like? How far do our freedoms go? And what's very unique about the situation is the novel aspect to all of this is not necessarily a novel coronavirus. I think that that's a load of BS. What's novel is bringing the fight to American soil. Mm -hmm. That's what's novel. Right. We've only had a few moments in US history where we have to defend our own uh, country from, from within. We've never had uh, a full acknowledgement of inside a threat. That's what's novel. Right. You know, deep state is, a, is, is something that people talk about and they talk about it in some sort of a conceptual way. But the bigger question is, what do you do about it? The bigger question is, what does that look like and how far? Everybody, everybody in certainly your audience would, would, would have the common sense to know at some point with injury, with, with losing work, with losing rights, at some point you get to where it's not recoverable anymore, right? I mean, common sense would dictate that the human body gets to a point where something's not recoverable. Um, right. You know, if you're in a car accident and they look at your car, you know, even from a, a financial point of view, they'll come and say, well, you know, it could be repaired, but it's going to cost 50 grand to repair it instead of, you know, we could, we could give you a new car. Right. And, and it's the same thing. And what they're going to do with us is they're going to crash us so bad that it, that the cell, the promise of a new America becomes better for everybody. The idea that, that it's, it's not savable. And the idea that you have to accept what we're offering you, you have to accept a, this offer on the table because it's the only way is what's coming next. Wow. What a long monologue you gave me an opportunity <laughs> for, but thank you. I mean, that's where I can do my best work and just in terms of sharing my thoughts. Right. And you're, you're such a wealth of knowledge and any of my audience who hasn't listened to any of your prior interviews, I really encourage you to do so. Um, it is an honor to sit down with you today. And I know that right now you are huge on school violence, uh, transgenderism agenda and how it relates to transhumanism, correct? Well, yes, but and you're one of the first people where I get an opportunity to, you know, you're you're really helping me on a personal level because the pandemic work left me in a sort of a professional crisis. How much time do I give to the biological warfare versus the stuff that I knew not only would um, still be taking place, but would also escalate? Right. Um, you know, and, and so now it's, it's sort of a really weird space because, um, those two worlds start colliding because there will be an uptick 
in in active shooter like uh, events, uh, there will be an uptake uh, an uptick in um, in extremism because ultimately, when you divide people, when you make things div uh, uh, diverse, um, then 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 what happens is you create extremists because as passionate as we are, all of us, you're going to create fringe groups within that passion that rarely then decide that the only way to solve the problem is to kill. And, and that they, they decide that in a really purposeful way because it fits with their obsession that they want, they want death anyway. It starts off with, with, um, with self-fulfilling death. It starts off with suicidal thought. And then for some people that extends to, if I'm going to suicide anyway, then why don't I do something that gives me legacy? I know that, for example, in the active shooter, active attacker world, they often talk about like, don't name the perpetrator because they're looking for notoriety. Um, I think it's slightly different from that. I think the concept is that for a lot of these folks, it's not necessarily that they even um, need the notoriety to be famous for other people. They need something that makes sense for them, that their life mattered. Um, I, I, I look at it like a starving animal. And especially like a hibernating animal. Um, the, the most dangerous points around hibernation is just before an animal needs to hibernate and they don't have enough food to waking them up too early, right? They are going to be starving to death. They know that they've got right. to, so those are dangerous animals in, in terms of they're on the hunt. And when somebody has what I call an existential starvation, they are starving for meaning and purpose. You know, you woke up this morning and you decided to do this interview and you've got people that are listening to you and that's meaningful work for you, right? And so for people that lack that, for people that don't have some form of soulful connection, a spirituality, a bigger purpose, the bigger purpose for them can be very dark. The bigger purpose can be uh, agenda-based. And this is why we're going to see a rise in, um, in, in, in attacks that the ideology is not going to be the ones that people are more familiar with, like an ideology where they can tie it to some sort of Islamic radicalized um, person, uh, somebody who wants to live under Sharia law. Um, we don't see that um, as much anymore. What you're going to see is that it's flavored with the flavors of the day. And so you're going to see more and more transgender extremists. Now, I'm going to make this very clear because I don't get to do this on when I'm texting, when I'm posting something on, on Twitter, for example. Um, I don't get to fully flesh that I have no issue with a human being expressing themselves and, and, and certainly an adult. I, I have a wide range of my own comfort level, right? If, if I go and I see human beings involved in bondage activities for their sexual activity and they consenting adults. Um, and that's what they decide to do on a Saturday night versus somebody else's uh, uh, Sunday night football, more power to them. Right. But if either of those parties make that pursuit forced upon me, that's when it becomes an issue. Right. For example, nobody is gonna in, in, is going to force me if I've got something else to do or something that I feel would be better use of my time. Nobody should force me to participate in a football game, watching it, talking about it, analyzing it, betting on it. It's just not my thing. Right. And so 
when people um, through identity, when there are identity crisis, when people get absurd in terms of trying to force their ideology, no matter what that is, that's when it has the potential of turning violent. Now, I want to, because for the sake of time, I think a lot of people think that a lot of these things happen, um, like the transgender movement. I think there's there's two main drivers that people need to look at uh, very importantly in terms of making sure that we don't create uh, a problem where there wasn't one. One of which is nobody really wants to ask the question, what is the uptake? I keep saying uptake. I mean, uptick. What is the uptick in, 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 in transgender youth? Where is it coming from? And one of the things that I'd like people to think about is that we know that there's biology at play. So we ought to be asking the question, what is changing biology? Right. And there's a very good chance the answer of that lies in the childhood vaccine schedule. The answer to that is playing around with chemicals that change things like testosterone and estrogen and prostaglandins. Yes. There, that, is, that is what good science would be looking at. But of course, we're not allowed to touch that. The other one that is easier in access for people to do their own research on is there is always moneyed folk behind any agenda in the world, right? There is always a lot of money driving purpose when there's money to be made. And so the transgender movement at the moment, in my opinion, is being funded by those people that not only want the transgender movement growing, but it's a pathway, a legal pathway to transhumanism. Yeah. And before and before anybody says, oh, that's crazy. You guys are nuts. Like, look at the show. They're talking absolute garbage. What I wanted people to do is the person who's the probably the wealthiest driver of transgenderism as, as it relates to transhumanism is someone called Dr. Martine Rothblatt. She, she he was the founder of XM Radio and is oh. massively successful also in the therapeutic, in fake organs. Uh, in fake lungs, this person is basically going to make um, even more money in a pandemic that has left people battle scarred, uh, has left people uh, uh, with amputations, has left people needing transplants. This is the world of Dr. Martine Rothblatt. But Martine Roth, her work also doesn't stop at just the idea of the human body being fixable. The human body is fixable until it's not. And the real desire for Martine Rothblatt as somebody who's had um, identity issues is that we should all not have a body. This is how perverse this thinking is. I'm uncomfortable with my body is the thinking. Therefore, you shouldn't have a body either. Right. Which is literally mental health issues, literally psychosis. Yeah. If somebody in an institution when I worked in psychiatric wards had told me that, I'd be like, okay, I'm sorry you feel that pain, but I'm happy in my body and I'm going to move on. The problem with this multi-billionaire or the access to this kind of money is that she's actually making it work. And, and, and people like Mark Zuckerberg are there along for the ride in terms of what is the symbol of the metaverse? It's the infinity symbol. Right. So what are they ultimately trying to create? It is no different from any other really dark, perverse cult that's ever um, been on this planet. What are they really seeking? Immortality. What is, yeah. what is every sort of evil stereotype in the world and every fairy tale and every sorcerer's, you know, craft, what are they always after? The desire to not die. Yeah, exactly. 
And so how this relates to school uh, shootings, unfortunately, is that the um, there is always a link between there is a sexual side to all mass killers that never gets talked about. And there are also deep identity disorders that no one wants to talk about. And so when it comes to protecting our kids from these folks, we always need to ask ourselves, are we truly recognizing those that are dangerous amongst us? There, b- before these latest attacks and before the, 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 the world is starting to focus on transgender extremists, I don't think you could have convinced anybody that the last uh, attacks that they've all heard of over the last year or two have been transgender folks because you're just not allowed to talk about it. And once again, I'm being very, very um, choosy with my words over here because am I implying that people uh, that have uh, transgender issues are going to go out and kill people? Absolutely not. But within the space of extremists and activists and fringe groups, you will always have those that believe that to, uh, to seek some form of martyrdom is going to be their pathway to legacy. And so that's, that's crucial. That's crucial to understand that there's, that there's a link uh, that links all of that extremism to the ultimate right. pursuit. And, you know, it's so current. We're seeing the transgender, uh, you know, agenda being pushed in elementary schools. In my case, it was being pushed in daycares. And, you know, it's it's all around. We see it in advertisements and all of this, all of these things. And it seems to me, if you're not part of that LGBTQ community, then, you know, you're being pushed out. And they're trying to normalize all of that and normalize, um, you know, maps, the pedophilia. It's it's a psychological disorder that people want to normalize because they're uncomfortable with standing against it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I also think that it's nuanced because it's really tough because pre-pandemic uh, and, and, and part of my work, even being on, this, on the speaking circuit, is that I'd recognize that there's a direct link between suicidality and, and, and people that become homicidal. And so we ought to be creating worlds that feel more comfortable for people. And certainly I was out there and, um, and, and already covering a very controversial topic that in true transgender cases, there is... Um, in, in, in young children, there is a curiosity and there is um, a, um, a feeling that they have uh, in terms of their choices, in terms of their um, expression. But that, that the, the way to have achieved some level of safety uh, for those children and for others was not to start a process where it becomes medicalized, where it becomes, psycholo- where it becomes a psychologist dream to lock in this patient forever. Because the awareness should have been a common sense principle, especially with younger and younger children, that it makes sense from, from anybody that's ever worked with children. One day they want to be Batman, and then they're not Batman anymore. They're a exactly. unicorn. And the next day they want to be a girl because girls get cool toys. And, and the next day they want to be a firefighter, and then they don't want to be a firefighter anymore. They want to now be a scientist because they just watched some you know cartoon show we know that to create a creative mind um you're going to take on role play i mean it's the basis of of child therapy and it's the basis of like you should know better than me it's the basis of all play it's imagination Absolutely. but what we don't do is we don't take a child that says i want to be a superhero we don't watch them take a towel from the swimming pool tie it around their neck and make a cape and climb up 
to the third floor of a building and jump. We just don't watch that. And so we don't cause straight children that are going through a process um, that's more than likely going to work itself out. And we don't, when we don't start earlier to try and encourage thought, we don't plant seeds where there are, where there is no issue. Because one of the things that that's never discussed around this topic is that if you take a situation where you've got a potentially dysfunctional family, or you've got a potentially dysfunctional parent, children take on those cues. And so if it's going to get attention from mommy or daddy, we've always known this. I'm a psychologist by background. If something gets attention, even if it's negative attention, then it becomes the thing that somebody does. Right. And so we don't take something and purposefully say, you know, think about it this way. Like there might be, there might be a, a, a person, a transgendered person themselves. They now have a child. They want to, they want to basically, um, uh, recreate a world like through every parent's de- uh, desire is to create a better world uh, than the one that they went through. And so they're going to look out for these signs that their kids are going to be in distress. Now, let's say that part of that is that the pursuit of going to the psychologist every week or picking out clothes or being about excited is the best quality time between a mom and their son that that's transitioning. Of course, that behavior is reinforced because that son wants to spend time with their mommy. And even more, the, 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 the sort of very, very heartfelt approach to this that's very sad is to think about that part of it uh, is extreme behaviors are generally to try and get the parent figure that's absent, present, right? And so if they know that this is upsetting dad, you would think that they wouldn't do it. No, in fact, they're going to do more of it because they now hear and hear mommy and daddy arguing about them, which makes them special. Um, it's a really, really weird form of attention and attention-seeking behavior that has literally been weaponized because it's gigantically financial. Um, I think the statistic that's been sh- uh, thrown out is it's about a million dollars per patient currently. Yeah. I mean, pharmaceuticals dream, psychologists dream, social workers, schools, curriculum developers, you know it. It's an entire new industry that people can milk. If I chose to do it the other way, I could become an expert on this topic and have people lining up my door because it's now a needed item to sell. Absolutely. And that leads me kind of into my next question, although you've kind of already covered that you know, we're seeing this more in elementary schools and they're seeing it on cartoons and television programs that our children watch. In your opinion, why do you think that is being pushed so much? Because I think that ultimately the bigger funding of it uh, as as laid out, you know, we, we throw around um, this word manifesto as it relates to um, attackers, right? Um, What people would call active shooters. They say, is there a manifesto? And then generally there's some garbage that somebody's written up. Um, You know, the the, the crazy thing about these these crazy people that go out and do these killings is they actually are not very imaginative at all. And so there's a lot of copycat behavior. There's a lot of trolling where basically it's like the ultimate form of a meme. They just meme themselves. You know, this latest attacker looks like like any other uh, previous attacker, um, and they just meme themselves over and over. So there's a manifesto that actually lays this out in real time um, as it's happening and that people will find and discover later on 
to explain all of this, but you can have the heads up on it, is that this person that I mentioned, this Dr. Martin Rothblatt, is one of many um, figures that have basically carved out a plan. And here's the easiest way to put it. There's been test uh, cases through the court systems of people trying to give human rights to animals. And they always fail because basically our court systems will not recognize that a dolphin is a human being or a chimpanzee. <laughs> and there's been good reason for people wanting to try and do that. If you establish empathy, if you establish some form of human-like of human level uh, in an animal, then animal rights activists could be calling for better treatment um, of animals. So they, they, it, it makes sense to me of why people have pursued that. But there's a perversity to be, the pathway to being able to say, if it's failed, here's the legal pathway. If it's failed to give a dolphin human rights, then how would we ever give an avatar, a digital version of somebody human rights? And the pathway to that is that if you can mess around with identity, if there's no more male and female, for example, if there's no more, I'm not actually my body, I'm a being, then you have to redefine what it is to be human. Right. And then anything can have human rights. The dolphin can have human rights, the chimpanzee, because what you're then defining is that your experience as a being becomes consciousness. And that if you can prove that something has consciousness, then that consciousness has legal rights. And therefore, you can say in a court of law, this person who's currently terminally ill They've downloaded all of this um, uh, um, information, this data about themselves. This is how they currently look. This is what the data says they're going to look like in 20 years' time through an aging process. These, this is who they are in their personality. These are their current um, memories that they can draw on. So this is the bundled package of this consciousness that's been on, uploaded to the cloud. And so when this person is switched off, when they suicide or die naturally, they haven't died legally. And therefore, their consciousness is a legal entity that is protected by law. Okay? So that's what they're doing. They are basically corroding the definition of what it is to be alive, to be human. Are you, a, you know, on, on, the most, on the most profound sort of philosophical conversation, if you and I were debating this in, in, in Aristotle and Socrates, it, it could all be very interesting to me. But because there's money involved and because it comes from a place of pain and suffering that is disconnected from people that have had a, a quite a good experience with their body that they were born into, uh, they've never had suicidal ideation to think, wow, I should off myself because this would be better. They've never thought I should fly a build a, a plane into a building because I'm going to get how many virgins is it? You know, unless you've had these crazy thoughts, most people are happy just to go fishing with their children. Right. Right. They don't want to off themselves to go fishing in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. They, 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 they know that there's people that have never gone out into the wild. They know there's people that have never gone camping and actually smelt a campfire. They know that there's kids that are growing up playing Fortnite that have never played tag in real life. And so we're catering to the, patho the pathological. The biggest switch that we've got in humanity right now is we've handed over the keys to the psych patients. We've literally handed over our keys, our biology, our science, our monetary system. We've handed it over to the psychopaths. We, we haven't fought back. 
We've just literally given them like a jailer with, with a big set of keys. We've said here, you go, you go, you be, yeah, you're the prisoners. You, you, you're in charge. You're in charge of the prison. Oh, you're the animals in the zoo. Okay. From now on, you're all in charge. We're just going to open up all the cages. Yes. You know, but the crazy thing is that, that the order of the universe will always go through chaos and they are banking on that chaos to redefine life. They're banking on it. They're going to collapse the systems. They're going to switch off the electricity. They're going to make it fight, make us fight amongst ourselves. And you can be sure that they've created places in the world that they can hang out and they can let us fight over scraps to then come back as warlords. You can, I mean, that's the pathway to any form of, 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 of war and terrorism. You can be sure that that's the plan. Let them scrap it out. Let them defeat each other. Let them think they've won. And then we'll come back and we haven't burnt out our resources and we can absolutely then have even more control and there'll be fewer of them. Right. And you know, that's so true, you know, divide and conquer. And they're doing that in so many ways. Um, all of it is, it has a psychological aspect to it. And I think the more that people dive in and really research and read into it, the more they can see that, um, you know, this has been a great interview. I know you are kind of limited on time. Um, where can people reach you? Where can people look at your work and your current doings? Well, um, they can go to drtalbron.com uh, and they can also find me, well, my products at biochemscience.com. And I used to be I used to be a lot more shy around the products that are brought to market. And lately what I've realized is that um, the proudest time for me and the work that I've done should be now. I've done profound work. I've been working endlessly. The bulk of this work is pro bono. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, um, just like people didn't have a choice in terms of they made, they made the best choice for themselves and then they got fired. Those that have stepped up to lead this, nobody told us to lead it. Right. You know, something, something that I'd really encourage people to do is not only find us, right. Put us in charge. You know, if, if, if a million people, 2 million people, 5 million people turned up on my doorstep today and said, Hey, you lead us. I would do it. <laughs> I would do it. Like, but yeah. the weirdest thing for anybody that, that knows that they've got leadership skills, the weirdest thing is to self-select. It's, it's really strange, a really strange choice you've made for you to have a podcast and self-select to do this. People don't realize how hard it is. People don't realize that it may seem that everybody that does this has this great ego, this wonderful self-esteem. No, it's a calling, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are very shy in, in, uh, and, and they push themselves through the discomfort and it brings yes. attention and it brings danger. Um, but I want to encourage people, choose your leaders. Tell those that you respect, tell those that you think, follow me and, uh, and take me home. Make sure that my kids are safe. Stop being so shy about telling people, hey, we back you. We want you, you know, to, to help us through this. And one of the ways that I've done so far that people can help themselves is that I brought out two products to market 
um, through biochemscience.com that people can use. Now, the hardest thing in our in our environment is I can't make all the claims that I want to make about those products. Right. People need to research themselves. They need to hear testimonials. They need to uh, have a look at uh, um, at the at the information of what those products are, how they work. But they can't ask me to provide that because then they'd be shut down. And people must understand that this is a game. We're all playing a game and we need to play to win. Nobody's, nobody, nobody should ever be going in uh, to a game uh, without thinking that their outcome should be to win. Don't waste your time. You know, who would back a sports team, for example, that was going onto field, you know, to throw the game? Or who would want to see a boxing match that right. was fighting? And so... Don't people should not expect people like myself and others that are um, trying to lead us through this um, to spell it all out for them or to put themselves in complete danger. Because part of what I'd ask the Patriots to do as they as they follow me on social media, don't follow me with as a fair weather fan. Follow me by backing me. Follow me by telling me I've got your back. Yeah. Right. I'll carry somebody. I'll carry somebody. I'll sling someone over my shoulder if necessary and take them out of danger. I'll do that. Right. But I'm not going to do it for somebody who's kicking me <laughs> at the same time. I'm just not going to do it. And the other thing is, I'm also not going to choose to help people that don't want the help. And I'm not going to choose people that give me a hard time to say, prove to me, prove to me that you can get me out of this building. Right. No, no. People are dying. I've got no time for this. Let's yeah. move on. And, and so the answer to that question is they can find me on social media. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter. I'm very, very vocal on Twitter because it tends to be a, a space now. Thank goodness. That's a lot more free, um, at least for now. And, uh, and, and likewise, um, I want to find them. If people reach out to me, um, especially with the products, we've got a huge backlog but people should be ordering because it means that they are funding something that ultimately they'll need. Um, and the other thing is people email me all the time and ask me questions, um, which is great, but I'm not often in a position to answer immediately. Um, and I try and circle back or try and remember a question and then bring it up, bring up the answer in an interview. Um, and so it's a process. It's a relationship like anything else. It's a friendship built on trust, built on mutual respect. Mostly, I think it's a, a, a profound friendship that we're all forming built on common love for this great Republic. I think that that is the bond. We want this thing to survive. And therefore we are going with each other through our thought and through our actions and through our deeds to do our best, to make sure that we leave this Republic intact and not just for us. I think, I think that any adult by now should realize we're, we're not in this fight for us. This is a fight for our, for our offspring and for, and for the future. And you're absolutely right. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to join me today. I invite you anytime. I know you're super busy, but you're always welcome back. You are a wealth of knowledge and my audience is privileged to get to hear your insights on everything that's going on. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's really, really an honor. God bless you. God bless your audience and God bless this great nation. Absolutely. God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. God bless this country. And together we're Patriots Strong. I'll see you next time, guys.
Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from my pillow. Towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with the nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. This is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. The new MyPillow towels are exclusively made with 100% USA combed cotton with proprietary technology and with maximum absorbency. They dry you faster and are guaranteed to work. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you get one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and you get a second set absolutely free or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free or get my classic premium MyPillow and get another one absolutely free. So so call the number on your screen or go to MyPillow.com and use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products.